Thank you very much, colleagues. We'll begin today's proceedings with First Minister's questions. And before we turn to questions, could I ask the First Minister if she wishes to update the Chamber on the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, thank you, President Officer. Before I give an update on today's statistics, can I take the opportunity to express, I'm sure on behalf of all of us, uh, my sadness at the death yesterday of Captain Sir Tom Moore. Uh, during the toughest of times, he inspired millions of people. And of course, he also raised millions of pounds for the National Health Service. So, I'm sure I speak on behalf of all of us when I say our thoughts and condolences are with his family and loved ones. <laughs> Turning now to today's statistics, 978 new cases were reported yesterday. That is 5.1% of all of the tests that were carried out. The total number of cases therefore now stands at 182,269. Uh, there are currently 1,871 people in hospital. That is a decrease of 63 uh, from yesterday. And 128 people are in intensive care, which is 12 fewer than yesterday. However, I regret to report that in the past 24 hours, a further 88 deaths were registered of patients who first tested positive in the previous 28 days. And the total number of people who have died under that daily measurement is now 6,269. However, National Records of Scotland has just published its weekly update that includes cases where COVID is a suspected or contributory cause of death. Uh, and today's update shows that by Sunday, the total number of registered deaths linked to COVID under the wider definition was 8,347. 440 of those deaths were registered last week, which is 12 fewer than in the previous week. 301 of the deaths occurred in hospitals, 97 in care homes, 38 at home or in other non-institutional settings and four of them in other institutions. And yet again, I want to send my condolences to everyone who has lost a loved one during the pandemic. I can also report that as of 8.30am this morning, 649,262 people had received their first dose of vaccine. That is an increase of 38,484 since the figure reported yesterday. This is the highest daily total so far, and it is 59% up on the same day last week. As I said yesterday, the total figure includes 98% of residents in older people's care homes who have not just been offered the vaccine, but have actually been vaccinated with the first dose. And in addition, 87% of over 80-year-olds living in the community have also now had the first dose. Now, that figure is based on our original estimate of the number of over 80s, but as I said yesterday, work being done with health boards to refine this estimate suggests that that percentage uh, might actually now be higher. Uh, and as of this morning, I can report that 28% of people aged 75 to 79 have also had the first dose. Uh, let me thank everyone working across the country to get people vaccinated as quickly as possible and also the public for the quite extraordinary uptake so far. Uh, now, finally, there's one other issue I just want briefly to draw to Parliament's attention today. The Independent Review of Adult Social Care has just published its report, and I want to thank the Chair, uh, Derek Feely, and the advisory panel of experts for their work over the past five months, uh, and also to thank everyone who took the time to share their experiences. Today's final report covers all aspects of adult social care services, and amongst its 53 recommendations, it calls for the creation of a national care service. The Government will respond to its recommendations in due course and the Health Secretary uh, has requested a parliamentary debate on the report later this month. Uh, the pandemic has shown us more starkly than ever before just how much our care services matter. 
So the review report provides us with a basis for significantly improving these services and, of course, is a vital first step towards the creation of a national care service. Uh, let me conclude with a reiteration of the key ask of all of us right now. Please stay at home except for essential purposes. Staying at home remains essential to getting and keeping the virus under control as we vaccinate more and more people. The sacrifices being asked of everyone are hard, but they are working. So please stick with it. Remember facts when you are out, but it, unless it is essential to be out of your home, stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. Thank you very much, First Minister. The First Minister will now take questions. Before we turn to the, the written questions, if anybody wishes to ask a supplementary, I'll take them at the end, but please press your button early and I call Ruth Davidson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. And may I associate myself and my party with the sentiments expressed by the First Minister regarding the death of Captain Sir Tom Moore. Uh, the word hero is overused, but he most definitely was one, and our thoughts are with his family. Presiding Officer, the Government has finally accepted that Scotland's vaccine rollout is lagging behind the rest of the UK and the pace needs to be picked up. With the Health Secretary, Jean Freeman, telling Parliament yesterday, we do need to vaccinate faster in Scotland than we have been doing. It is in all of our interest that this works and it works well, so let's focus on what the First Minister is going to do to accelerate the programme. For consecutive weeks, vaccinations have dropped substantially on Sundays and this risks becoming a consistent pattern. A seven-day service was promised and it will be essential if we're going to meet targets. So has the First Minister identified what the problem is on Sundays and can she tell the Chamber what has been done since last Sunday to make sure that the situation improves this coming weekend? First Minister. Well, I'll come on to the seven-day working in a second, but can I first of all say, as I set out yesterday, uh, the Scottish Government has followed an approach that very deliberately concentrated on getting the most clinically vulnerable groups vaccinated first and achieving as high an uptake in these groups as possible. 98% uh, of older residents in care homes have now been vaccinated with their first dose, uh, and 87%, actually, we think that is probably now uh, above 90% of over 80s living in the community. That's really important because that is the way most quickly to have an impact on reducing serious illness and reducing the number of people dying. Um, I heard uh, Michael Gove on the radio this morning uh, not able or willing to give a figure for how many uh, residents and care homes in England have actually been vaccinated as opposed to uh, being offered the vaccine. So that's a deliberate choice uh, that the government has made. It is a legitimate choice to have, first of all, focused on overall numbers. Uh, but if that is at the expense of uptake in the groups most clinically vulnerable, it's not a choice I uh, would have wanted the Scottish Government to make. Um, but we are now, and we can see both in the figures yesterday and today, we are now accelerating the programme for younger age groups in the wider community. So the figure I reported yesterday was 55% higher than the previous Monday. Uh, the figure today I'm reporting, which is the figure for yesterday, Tuesday, 59% higher than Tuesday last week. Our figure yesterday actually was proportionately 28% higher than the figure in England for vaccinations done yesterday. So we can see that acceleration already and our job is to make sure that continues. Uh, we have the Health Secretary and the uh, overall vaccination team have been working to ensure that the capacity uh, that is there is being fully utilised every day of the week, including Sundays. I will personally meet this afternoon with the Chief Executives of Health Boards to hear from them the steps they have taken to make sure that the overall uh, pace is accelerating in the wider community, but that is a consistent uh, performance seven days a week. So this vaccination programme is going well. 
It's going well because of the efforts of people across the country, but it's also going well because of the willingness of the public to come forward in such huge numbers to be vaccinated, and I'm very grateful to them for that. Ruth Davison. Thank you, Presiding Officer. We've also heard from the Health Secretary that there is evidence that some parts of the country are getting the vaccine faster than others. A month ago, we raised concerns uh, a postcode lottery was possible unless local data was published to help identify and address problems as soon as they emerge. Currently, the data published by health boards varies wildly. Some update weekly, some in arrears, some don't appear to publish at all, while others update their website every few days. There is a simple way to help restore public confidence that the speed of this rollout will eventually catch up in every part of the country. So can we ask the First Minister again, four weeks on, will she now commit to publishing those daily breakdowns for each health board area? First Minister. Uh, yes, we will do that when we are in a position to make sure that can be done robustly. I mean, let's not forget here, the Scottish Government, and I, I think I can say that this without fear of contradiction, but if I'm getting this wrong, I'll be the first to concede it. We already uh, publish on a daily basis uh, data that is much more detailed than other parts of the UK. So I can stand here um, and I can give this figure not on a weekly basis but on a daily basis and tell you uh, how many people in our care homes uh, have been vaccinated, how many people in the over 80s group have been vaccinated, how many people in the uh, 75 to 79 uh, age group have been vaccinated and we'll continue to develop that as the vaccination programme works down uh, the age groups. I go back to the point I made this morning, and I'm, you know, I'm only saying this because uh, ministers in the UK government have been critical of the Scottish government. Michael Gove couldn't or wouldn't give the equivalent figure for older people in care homes vaccinated in England. Now, you know, yes, it's important to know how many people have been offered a vaccination, but I would suggest it is much, much, much more important to know how many people have actually been given the vaccination. And that, that is the information in terms of groups of the population that we are already publishing on a daily basis, which has not been published in that detail elsewhere. And so, yes, we will move, uh, as we have always said we would do, to much more granular breakdowns, including geographic breakdowns, as we're in a position to make sure that that data is robust for publication. And uh, Ruth Jameson. I'd like to thank the First Minister for agreeing to publish the data by Health Board area uh, and a, on a daily basis, which I asked you for four weeks ago. I think it will help us track exactly where the hold-ups are in the country. But looking at this nationally, I think the whole country will have been delighted to have seen further mass vaccination centres begin operating this week. The Scottish Government's vaccination plan, published three weeks ago, states that six mass vaccination sites will be, I'll quote, capable of administering in excess of 20,000 vaccinations per week each. Now, people understand that it will take time to get up to that level, and we've seen Tekka and Aberdeen projected to do 6,000 this week. But can the First Minister tell us when all six sites are due to hit their 20,000 per week target? And does she believe, along with the community vaccination sites, that these six mass vaccination centres are enough? Or is there an opportunity for more as we attempt to speed up the programme? First Minister. Uh, firstly, um, I haven't just agreed uh, to publish uh, daily figures on uh, the regional breakdown. I've already said all along, uh, perhaps Ruth Davidson didn't hear it or didn't pay attention, but I've said all along we would publish more figures on a daily basis as we were able to do that robustly. I've also said, and I don't think it's unreasonable, that we will also, uh, as we go along, make sure that we're not putting uh, overall too much of a burden on people to collect and publish data so that they can get on actually with the job of vaccinating people, which is the most important 
thing of all. In terms of the mass vaccination centres, of course, in addition to the Edinburgh Conference Centre and TECA, in Aberdeen that have come on stream this week, in addition to the Louisa Jordan that's been working uh, for uh, a couple of weeks already. Now, there are a number of centres across the country. Uh, now, given the geographies of some towns and, and villages in our country, they won't all be of the scale of the uh, TECA and the EICC, uh, but they are vaccinating people on a daily basis. And we will open uh, bigger centres uh, as and when the supply allows that uh, throughput. So uh, this is a, a programme that is flowing well. We've been candid. We want, as we got the uptake figures in these most clinically vulnerable groups, uh, we always said we would accelerate in the wider groups. But, you know, let's focus here just on the numbers I've given over the last two days. As uh, we've gone into these groups, yesterday, uh, a figure that was a record high, 55% uh, higher than the corresponding uh, day the week before, and 28% uh, higher proportionately than the number of vaccinations carried out in England yesterday. Today's figure, another record high, and 59% more than the corresponding day last week. I don't yet know what England's figure is uh, for today. So we are uh, on track to vaccinate everybody in the over 70 group, everybody in the clinically extremely vulnerable group by the middle of February, having, uh, I think by any objective standards, exceeded the target we set for uh, what anybody would have thought uh, a decent uptake in the over 80s was. That was a target we'd set for Friday this week and we're already probably over 90% uh, of the over 80s in the community already. So this is going well. It's going well because of the huge efforts of the health secretary, the team and the government she works with and vaccinators the length and breadth of the country. Ruth Davison. I thank the First Minister for that answer, but it would be good to hear from her when the six sites promised to reach 20,000 per week are projected to do so. Now, yesterday, I asked the First Minister if she would accept further help from the armed forces, which had been offered to aid Scotland's COVID response. She didn't answer, but indicated as she sat down that she'd realised and that she'd go on to cover it later in the session, but didn't get there. Since then, the Secretary of State for Scotland has written to offer the support of the UK government and UK health bodies. So, can I ask her again, will she accept further military assistance? Sorry, I'm, I'm not quite sure why this is getting such a derisory response from those in a seated position. I think the people of Scotland would like to hear whether, whether the First Minister will accept further military assistance and the mutual aid offered by the UK Government to get Scotland's vaccination programme caught up with other parts of the UK. First Minister. The really good progress in our vaccination programme, for some reason that I can't understand, seems to be irritating Ruth Davidson today. Um, I would have thought it's, it's great news for the country. Uh, we already uh, are drawing on assistance from the armed forces. We've been doing that right throughout the pandemic. There was a period last year when our armed forces, uh, representatives of our armed forces were actually based in St Andrew's House with the rest of the team, and I am hugely grateful to them. Can I just say, though, any help that the armed forces give to uh, Scotland, whether it's on vaccines, whether, as in an earlier stage, it was on PPE or the logistics associated with setting up the NHS Louisa Jordan, it's not a favour from the Secretary of State for Scotland. It's our armed forces that the people of Scotland pay for through their taxes. So let's forget uh, the, the suggestion that it's somehow the UK government doing Scotland a favour. Um, we will continue to draw as appropriate uh, on the help of the armed forces. And let me just, again, as I did a moment ago, take the opportunity to thank them. But this vaccination programme 
is making good progress and my job, the Health Secretary's job, is to make sure that continues. And of course we'll continue as we draw on lessons from elsewhere in the UK, which we've never, uh, never shied away from doing, we'll also share uh, our experience of having lower infection rates um, and uh, making uh, good progress in suppressing the infection. So we'll continue to work with others to make sure that collectively we get through this pandemic as safely and as quickly as we possibly can. Thank you. Jackie Bailey. Presiding officer, could I also send my condolences to the family of Captain Sir Tom Moore and to all those families who have lost loved ones. Progress with the vaccination programme is always welcome, but some people in earlier priority groups are being left waiting for their first dose whilst vaccinations proceed for over 65s in places like Glasgow, Dumfries and Galloway and Lothian. Take, for example, Kate, who lives in Fife. She's 96. She lives in her own home and has carers in four times a day, but she has not received a vaccine invite. Her family don't live close by, and she is unable to contact the GP herself because she has dementia. Also in Fife are Margaret and Bill. Both are over 70. Margaret has COPD, but they have yet to also receive a vaccination invite. Their GP has no information as they are not administering this tranche of vaccines. Last Friday, the Health Secretary said that all over 70s would have their appointment by the end of the week. When that didn't happen, people started to worry. So can the First Minister explain what has gone wrong to leave people like Kate, Margaret and Bill in the dark? First uh, nothing is going wrong, uh, but let me say two things. Any MSP across the chamber who has individual cases of people not getting a letter, they should pass those on, and perhaps Jackie Bailey wants to turn her mobile phone off as well while I answer uh, her question. Um, they should pass those details on, and we will obviously look into them. Um, also, anybody who, uh, in a priority group who is worried about not having had an appointment can contact the vaccination helpline. I think this is information that has already been given uh, to all MSPs, but let me, for the benefit of people watching, if you are worried about your appointment or not having had your letter yet, you can phone the helpline on 0800 030 That's 0800 030 in terms of the letters uh, for the 70-plus uh, uh, age group and those in the clinically extremely vulnerable group, they will be out by the end of this week. Most will already have had them and be getting them as we speak. Um, and all of that group will be vaccinated with the first dose by the middle of February. Now, yes, we will. Some health boards... and. I wondered how long it would take for uh, MSPs uh, in the opposition parties to start to, to criticise this. In order to do it faster, uh, some health boards are grouping uh, the 65 to 69-year-old age group in with the over 70s, so that they're not waiting to do that sequentially. They're doing that all uh, as one group. So there will be cases of somebody in that age group getting vaccinated maybe a few days before somebody in the older age group. Uh, but the over 70s will all be done within that target date, and we are on track to meet that. Jackie Bailey. Um, can I say to the First Minister, it's not a criticism, it is the lack of information that's causing confusion out in our local communities. And I will not be alone, because my inbox is full of similar cases to the ones I described in Fife. These examples 
aren't one-offs, but they are part of a growing postcode lottery in vaccine rollout, and it's slowing Scotland's recovery from COVID. The weekly Public Health Scotland figures show a huge variation across the country in the proportion of the population receiving the vaccine. While some parts of mainland Scotland, like Murray and Angus, have vaccinated over 10 and 13 per cent, areas where the virus levels have been persistently high, such as Glasgow, Ayrshire and Lanarkshire, have only reached between 6 and 8 per cent. Meanwhile, the city of Edinburgh is lagging far behind with only 5% of its population receiving a first dose. The figures published today have even had the percentages removed so we can't easily monitor progress. Now, whether that's a deliberate lack of transparency or a genuine error, it's not acceptable that people are penalised by their postcode when it comes to this. So what is the First Minister doing to fix it? Uh, people are not being penalised uh, because of where they live. Uh, there will be differences in speed because of geographies, because of how different health boards are, are, are organising this to take account of the differences between urban areas and rural areas, the, the different sizes of communities. But all health boards are making progress. I, I think I said earlier on, I'll be meeting with the chief executives of all health boards this afternoon just to make sure they all have plans in place that allow them uh, to make steady progress uh, fast but steady progress uh, through all of this. And that is uh, a matter of uh, daily monitoring. In terms of transparency, as I said to Ruth Davison, we are publishing more daily uh, information with greater breakdowns than any other part of the UK. And we will continue to supplement that as we go along. It's really important. I would readily say this. I think I said it yesterday. I, I welcome the scrutiny and the pressure of Parliament on this because it is really important that we do go as fast as we can to protect as many people as possible. Um, in terms of information, the reason we set up the helpline, which I gave the number for a moment ago, so, is so that there is a point of contact. Uh, I get lots of emails about this, as I'm sure other members do. We uh, address any concerns there. But actually, increasingly, uh, the emails uh, I'm getting on a daily basis are for people to say, I've had my vaccination and I'm really pleased about it. So there's lots to do on this. There are lots of people yet to vaccinate, uh, both in obviously the 70 to uh, 80 age group and also then as we get into the younger age groups. But I think we can see from the figures, having achieved the uptake rates in these most uh, vulnerable groups, uh, the figures uh, for this week show the acceleration of the programme through the other groups as well. And we will keep an absolute focus on making sure that continues. Jackie Bailey. Um, I welcome the acceleration of the programme, but people across Scotland expect to be treated equally and not have their chance to have a vaccine determined by where they live. Presiding officer, it is becoming harder to work out how the Scottish Government measures success in the vaccine programme. Our vaccine rollout is much slower than England, Wales and Northern Ireland. The First Minister quite rightly says is not a competition between nations. But I have to say to her, it is a race against the virus and we are not going fast enough. The First Minister says that they are following the JCVI priority list. But in different parts of the country, it is a postcode lottery. That is not the fault of the vaccinators. They are doing a tremendous job. But GPs tell me they are simply not getting enough supply and supplies are erratic. And even by the First Minister's own promises, we are falling behind. First, it was a million vaccines by the end of January. 
but there have been less than 600,000. Then it was all adults over 18 by spring. Now they're aiming for just the over 50s by May. We were told that the vaccination programme was ramping up, but on Sunday we recorded our lowest daily rate so far. For the First Minister to meet her next promise of vaccinating all over 70s and the clinically vulnerable by the 15th of February, our daily rate needs to increase immediately to at least 40,000 a day. So does the First Minister expect her latest target to be met or will it be her latest broken promise? First Minister. Uh, yes, I expect the target to be met because the target we've been working to for the last couple of weeks in over 80s has actually been exceeded, uh, not just met uh, by, by the target date. Um, it's interesting, I, I don't, honestly don't know, I, I've said before and I'll say again, I, I actually welcome the scrutiny on this, but occasionally, you know, the opposition could try to hide the fact that they are obviously deeply irritated at the yeah. fact that the programme has been accelerating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would you mention, uh, you know, it's perfectly legiti legitimate to mention Sunday, but today we've had the highest total of vaccinations reported in the whole programme so far, but there's not a lot of mention of that. Jackie Bailey asked me, how do we measure success in the programme? Well, here's one indicator, 98% of the most clinically vulnerable people in the whole country, older people in care homes, have already been vaccinated in Scotland. 90% uh, or thereabouts of the next most vulnerable group, the over 80s, already vaccinated with the first dose of the vaccine. I can't tell you what those figures are in England because to the best of my knowledge, they're not publishing them on a daily basis. And Michael Gove couldn't tell you what they were when he was interviewed on uh, BBC Radio Scotland this morning. So that is a measure of success. Why is that a measure of success? Because this vaccine, although we had really good news yesterday on early indications around uh, the, the impact of the Oxford vaccine on transmission. But right now, what we know most about these vaccines are that they have a positive impact in suppressing illness and death. So why does it matter that we've got such a high uptake in these groups? Because these are the groups most likely to become seriously ill and die. The way we have done it is the way to save the maximum number of lives most quickly. And I think that is really important. And now we are accelerating progress going through the other groups. Jackie Bailey talks uh, about things the Health Secretary said in November. Yes, she did say these things uh, in November. In November, we didn't even have an authorised vaccine for use. So we were estimating on what we thought. We're now working on actual supplies and actual predictions of supplies to get the vaccine into the arms of as many people as quickly as possible. Vaccinators across the country, the team and government working in this are doing an excellent job and we should all back them 100% to get on with it. Thank you. Question three, Patrick Harvey. Thank you, Presiding Officer. We all know how important it is that we prioritise the needs of children and young people, but to do so as safely as possible for them for school staff and for the wider community. Yesterday's announcement uh, does pose significant challenges for school staff. Uh, yesterday, the First Minister said of senior pupils who will be physically present in schools to complete coursework. Initially, it's intended there'll be no more than around five to 8% of a secondary school role physically present at any one time. We now know that that's in addition to the vulnerable young people and those from families of key workers who are already attending. This will make adequate social distancing difficult or impossible. And occupational priority groups for the vaccine programme will only be considered in the next phase, 
Greens have long said that we want to see school staff included in this, but it's still some time away. So the First Minister will no doubt be aware that many teachers continue to be extremely concerned at the prospect uh, of a return to in-person teaching. Will she at least give them an assurance that vulnerable teachers will not be expected to return to class before they are vaccinated? First uh, yes, I would expect uh, local authorities who are the employers of teachers to make sure that they put the safety of vulnerable teachers uh, absolutely top of uh, their uh, agenda. Uh, we will not compromise the safety of teachers, other school staff or young people in schools. All of the steps we are taking to get children back to school, which I, I make no apology for. I think it is really important to get children back to school as quickly as possible. But all of the decisions that we have taken so far and will continue to take um, are informed by the advice of our expert advisers, looking at the, the data on the state of the epidemic, looking at the scientific uh, information we've got and making very careful and cautious decisions. If you take secondary schools, uh, what I announced yesterday for senior phase pupils is, is really important because without that access for some senior phase pupils, to uh, in-school, face-to-face practical learning, there will be a question mark over the certification of their national qualifications. And I don't think that is fair if we can at all avoid it to the young people concerned. But if you take what we set out yesterday uh, with uh, a maximum of 5 to 8% and you combine that uh, with the, the young people who already have access to school premises, you're talking in, in the main large secondary schools of something in the region of what 11, 12% of a school role being present. Uh, and I, I think that is a reasonably cautious way to approach getting older pupils back to school. So we continue to listen to teachers. I understand the concerns of teachers, which is why we've set out uh, the, the plans for twice weekly testing uh, for uh, school staff as well as senior phase pupils that I spoke about yesterday. And it's why we will continue to look at all possible ways to make sure schooling is as safe as possible. But we know the impact, the increasing impact that being out of school is having on our young people, which is why getting them back as quickly as possible is such a priority. Patrick Harvey. I think we all recognise the difficulty of making decisions in this area, but yesterday teaching unions did continue to urge caution uh, in reaction to the First Minister's announcements. Uh, teachers will also face workload challenges. Uh, because of dealing with a mix of pupils in school, pupils staying at home, including unpredictable numbers needing to self-isolate, uh, as well as teachers' additional workload on test and trace. Teachers can't reasonably be expected to teach some pupils in person and others online at the same time, so they need to know what the arrangements will be that will be put in place. And this challenge is exacerbated by unequal access to home learning for pupils where digital access is a challenge and where they've, they've had issues uh, about accessing resources. So can the First Minister tell us how many children and young people still don't have access to remote learning because they don't have a laptop or other device or uh, have an insufficient broadband connection? First Minister. We work with local authorities on an ongoing basis. I, I said this in response to a question yesterday to make sure that we are identifying uh, or they are identifying and we are helping them fill those gaps. But we did a data analysis an earlier stage of the pandemic that from memory showed, I think, that there was perhaps 70,000 uh, families across the country that didn't have that access. And we have therefore made funding available for 70,000 
devices, internet connections to be made available. But we will continue to work with local authorities to make sure uh, that any uh, young person, any family that doesn't have that uh, is, is catered for. Um, in terms of the overall thrust of the question, I, I recognise how difficult this is for teachers. I, I genuinely do. That's why we funded 1,400 uh, extra teachers to help with the workload issues of this. It's why uh, not that long ago, the Deputy First Minister announced an additional £45 million for local authorities to look uh, to enable them to provide resources as they see fit to further help. So I got huge sympathy for the, the difficulties teachers face, just as I do for people working in other roles during this pandemic. But all of us, I think, uh, have got a duty to uh, operate right now and to take decisions uh, to get through this pandemic in a way that prioritises the health, the well-being, the development of our young people. That has been hugely impacted in getting them back into face-to-face -face education in schools, uh, operating normally with their peer group and with their friends. I don't think there is a greater priority in the midst of this pandemic than that right now. And that's why the Scottish Government is going to do everything we can to accelerate it as fast as safety. And let me emphasise that point, as safety allows. Thank you. Question number four, Willie Rennie. This is from someone who wants to be a vaccinator. I am currently entering week five of the recruitment process, with a possible induction start date of the 10th of February, subject to occupational health clearance, with further online training required. He has been a senior registered NHS professional for 30 years, but he is still required to go through the extensive NHS recruitment process all over again. He asks, why did the recruitment process only really get going in December, when it was clear that the mass vaccination was on the way by late summer? I want to know why it is taking six weeks to get experienced NHS staff ready to vaccinate. Why did this process start so late? And are these some of the reasons why we are still so far behind the rest of the UK on the vaccine rollout? First Minister. Uh, I think the answers in order are no, no and no uh, to that. Uh, we have right now more than 9,000 vaccinators registered in the National Vaccination Management Tool. Um, we are working towards uh, the capacity uh, by the end of this month to be able to do 400,000 uh, doses a week. That requires a, a daily workforce of around 1,700 whole-time equivalent vaccinators, 970 support staff. So we have uh, already identified and have registered the numbers that we need to uh, do this programme at the scale we need to do it. Um, in terms of the process that people have to go through, again, as with people that are asking questions about their vaccination appointment, if there are cases any member wants us to look into, we're happy to do that. Uh, you know, vaccinating uh, people, I'm not a clinician, obviously, I'm not saying it's the most complicated clinical process uh, known to to us, but equally, it's not something that should uh, be treated lightly. So there is a process uh, to go through. It's a process that varies depending on whether somebody has previous vaccination experience. So there will be people who do the flu vaccination every year, uh, where the, the, the requirements here will be much less for others who, others who may have lots of clinical experience, but may never have vaccinated somebody before. So it's right from the point of view of patient safety, to train people appropriately. Now, we have taken steps, health boards have taken steps to streamline that as much as possible. We don't want unnecessary bureaucracy. Uh, but if we didn't do that properly, and then there were patient safety incidents because we had people vaccinating that maybe hadn't gone through the right processes, 
I have a sneaky suspicion that one of the first people up here criticising us for that might just be Willie Rennie. Willie Rennie. Dear me, dear me. Um, six weeks to register an NHS professional. That doesn't sound like progress to me, especially when they've had 30 years of experience, senior experience. Pennywell All Care Centre has been designated a vaccination hub because it is located in the middle of one of Scotland's most deprived communities. We have learned from local GPs that appointments there have been given to people from elsewhere. But people in Muir House, who can see the building from their front living room window, are being sent to the EICC two whole bus journeys away. That makes absolutely no sense to them. Doctors think this is bound to have an impact on the take-up of the vaccine. And the First Minister knows that this is happening elsewhere too. So can I ask the First Minister, what on earth is going on with this appointment system? Look, Willie Rennie very often, even if I don't always uh, respond in the way that suggests I think this, asks very legitimate questions. But I have to say these ones, and I'm going to take them through some of these. Let's firstly talk about the, the training of vaccinators. If you are somebody with previous vaccination experience, the process, I think, is about three and a half hours. Now, there will be people with lots of clinical experience who don't have previous vaccination experience, and therefore, rightly, that is a process that takes longer. But Willie Rennie's uh, proposition here seems to be founded on the fact that because it's such a long bureaucratic process, we don't have enough people to do it. We've got 9,000 people registered uh, on the uh, vaccination management tool already. And as we get to that uh, capacity of 400,000 a week, that requires about 1,700. So we have uh, lots of people registered and there is absolutely no suggestion that, it is a lack of vaccinators, uh, that a lack of vaccinators is an issue in the delivery of the programme. Now, in terms of... Uh, the, the issue with uh, geography. I, I'm not going to pretend to know in detail every uh, part of the geography of Scotland, but yes, there are, we are prioritising. We can't have GPs do the whole of this programme because given the scale of it, if we asked GPs to do the whole of it, they wouldn't have time to see patients for any other reason, which wouldn't be good or sensible. So we are trying to prioritise the time of GPs and health boards will be taking different approaches to this based on their experiences and their geographies. But GPs, you know, largely older, more vulnerable people with younger, fitter people asked to go to the bigger vaccination centre. So sometimes, yes, people will be asked to go to a centre that is further away than their own GP. But do you know what? That's so we can get through more people more quickly, which I thought is what everybody wanted here right now. Um, and lastly, Willie Rennie says, you know, this all must be having an impact on uptake. We have record high uptake figures right now. You know, 98% of people in care homes, uh, now that's in care homes, so that's a, a, a different model. But if you had told me just a, a few weeks ago that we would be at 90% of over 80s actually having been vaccinated, that we would have got close to that uptake, I would have struggled to believe it. The evidence is not that anything we're doing is depressing uptake. On the contrary, uptake is brilliant so far in this programme. And that's a real tribute to people in the communities wanting to come forward to help in this collective national effort to beat COVID. Thank you. Question five, Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, presiding officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the Institute of Fiscal Studies report that was published on the 1st of February, which suggests that the cost of lost schooling in Scotland due to the pandemic is at least £2.8 billion. First Minister. 
Well, we know, and uh, I've talked about this today and also yesterday, uh, that COVID is having a negative impact on the attainment gap and is affecting the learning of all children and young people. Uh, that's why, as part of our pandemic response, we've invested significantly in teachers and support staff, as well as measures to extend digital inclusion and improve remote learning. Uh, we also continue to target additional support at those from disadvantaged backgrounds. The draft budget for next year will see more than £127 million in pupil equity funding go to support those from more disadvantaged backgrounds and a further £30 million invested to support schools with the ongoing effects of COVID. COVID will have both an immediate and a long-term impact on education, so we will always be looking for opportunities to do more to support children and young people's learning. But ultimately, this is why we are so determined to give priority to the return of schools and why I was pleased to announce the start of a phased, albeit very gradual, return to full-time schooling later this month. I thank the First Minister for that answer. In recent years, much progress has indeed been made in raising attainment, particularly amongst pupils from disadvantaged backgrounds, progress inevitably undermined by necessary restrictions undertaken in response to the pandemic. The individual income loss over a lifetime could run into tens of thousands of pounds. The Institute of Fiscal Studies suggests the use of large-scale tuition in summer holidays and extended hours could partially make up for lost classroom time. Will the Scottish Government explore all feasible options to ensure our pupils can catch up on their lost education so that by the time they leave school, any educational disadvantage suffered due to the pandemic is minimised? First Minister. Uh, yes, we absolutely will. Uh, we are and will continue to do everything we can to ensure the impact on children's education is minimised. Um, and we will consider action beyond uh, that which is being taken right now. Uh, since the start of the pandemic, as I said a moment ago, we funded the recruitment of 1,400 extra teachers and over 200 uh, support staff, uh, which will be helping already. Uh, we've already uh, invested to address digital exclusion and, as I said a moment ago, uh, announced a further £45 million to be used flexibly by local authorities for digital devices, internet connectivity, staffing, family support, whatever they think is most appropriate and necessary. And the draft budget will also see money invested to mitigate the impacts of COVID on learning um, and particularly on groups from uh, more disadvantaged backgrounds. Thank you. Question number six, Brian Whittle. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to ensure that patients have timely access to echocardiograms. First Minister. Uh, well, we recognise the importance of timely access to diagnostics, including echocardiograms for people with heart disease. Uh, we've supported the Heart Failure Hub to define and implement diagnostic pathways. Uh, that's included increasing access to tests that can help rule out heart failure in patients who might be suffering uh, from breathlessness, uh, which reduces the need for an echocardiogram. And that means that patients who do need to receive one can be seen sooner. Uh, all health boards now have access to this test. Uh, we are in the process of refreshing the Heart Disease Improvement Plan and expect to publish that this spring. Uh, we, within that plan, will ensure that equitable access to diagnostic tests, treatment and care for people with heart disease remains a priority. Brian Whittle. I thank the First Minister for that answer. But the recent British Heart Foundation draft Heart Disease Plan for Scotland released data gathered through FYs that showed significant variation in access to echocardiogram across Scotland. They also highlighted that the Scottish Government, having invested £1 million in the delivery of the current heart disease improvement plan since 2014, is against a cost of heart disease in Scotland to the NHS of £4.8 in the same period. 
Does the First Minister agree that this equates to a chronic underinvestment in heart disease prevention? And will she commit the Scottish Government to adequately invest in the prevention and treatment of heart disease? First Minister. Uh, yes, we will continue to do that uh, to the best of our ability. Um, I very much welcome the publication of the British Heart Foundation uh, strategy document. We will work with them as we developed the refreshed plan and, as I said earlier on, uh, making sure that there is equitable access to diagnostics is a key priority as that plan is developed. But I think it is important, as I said in my initial answer, to recognise that there is a real focus already on prevention, which is why the test that I talked about to rule out heart failure as an alternative to somebody uh, requiring an echocardiogram is so important. So prevention, early intervention across all uh, conditions remains very important. So we will continue to work to ensure that that is as equitable as people have a right to expect it to be. Thank you very much. And question seven, David Stewart. Uh, thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what assessment the Scottish Government has made of introducing an internationally recognised digital COVID-19 vaccine passport. First Minister. Well, I think one of the practical challenges right now at this stage of a certification approach is that we are still learning about the vaccine's effect on things like transmission of the virus. Um, that challenge has been recognised by the World Health Organisation, although, I'd, as I referred to uh, a few moments ago, we had, uh, I think, very good news yesterday about early indications of the impact of the Oxford vaccine on transmission, but there is much still to be learned about that. Uh, we will continue to engage in international developments, uh, including on the subject of vaccine certification. Uh, these discussions are led at a global level. Uh, they're led by the WHO and will include consideration of technical details, ethical and equality issues, which I think are important in this regard, and also privacy standards. And the outcome of these discussions will guide our work in this area in the future. David Stewart. Uh, thank you, President Officer. Could I thank the First Minister for her reply? The recovery phase of the pandemic will see a weakened global economy with our domestic tourism industry in freefall. An internationally recognised digital passport can contain details of vaccination history and results of COVID-19 test results accessed through a QR reader. Does the First Minister agree with me that the UK presidency of the G7 gives an opportunity to lead on this issue, an idea whose time has come. First Minister. Uh, yes, I do believe there's an opportunity to lead on this discussion. Is it an idea that time has come right now? Uh, I'm not sure we are yet at that stage because I, I, I don't think we know and understand enough about the, the impact of the vaccines to know exactly what certification would be certifying. And I think the whole world has to learn more about this before we can take uh, final decisions there. In the fullness of time, uh, I think certification may well have a role to play. We all know from travel uh, to certain parts of the world that already there are some uh, diseases where you require certification of vaccination. So this is not some new uh, and unknown idea, but it does require a level of understanding that I don't think any country has right now. Now, hopefully in the not too distant future, we will have a much greater level of understanding and these discussions uh, can continue in a more meaningful way. And I think we do have an opportunity to very much be in a leadership position in that. Thank you very much. We're going to move to supplementary questions. Bob Doris to be followed by Jimmy Halko Johnson. Bob Doris. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Can I ask the First Minister, given the good progress in the vaccinating priority groups, not just over 80s in care homes, but also in the weeks ahead, groups such as unpaid carers, for instance, when will the Scottish Government be able to review 
and hopefully ease the significant restrictions placed on hospital and care home visits for family members, visit the loved ones, and can you say maybe a little bit more about when this might be and what this might look like? First Minister. None of us want the very severe restrictions on uh, people's ability to visit loved ones in care homes or in hospitals uh, to be in place for a minute longer than is necessary. The, the impact of these has been severe, has been very distressing and you know, I think have affected the mental well-being of care home residents and uh, the people who love them. So we all want to get to a position of normality there as soon as possible. Uh, but it has to be done safely. With the virus circulating at levels it is right now, particularly with the impact of the new variant uh, circulating widely in Scotland, and of course uh, a fear about other new variants, we've got to be cautious there. The vaccine and you know, part of the, well not part of, the reason for focusing on care homes first was to make sure we gave maximum protection to that most vulnerable group and uh, the staff members who work more closely with them. So vaccine, I hope, will allow us uh, sooner rather than later to get back to greater normality there. But I suppose it relates in part to my answer to the previous question. There are still some unanswered questions about the impact of the vaccine on transmission. So we have to continue to be cautious, which is why I'm not going to put a date on it right now. But I absolutely assure everybody watching who is desperately missing a loved one in a care home that we will get you back into visiting as normally as possible, just as quickly as it is deemed safe to do so. Thank you. Jamie Halker-Johnson to be followed by Polly McNeill. Thank you, Presiding Officer. I've been contacted by a constituent from my Highlands and Islands region um, who's not being able to be offered the vaccine at a local GP surgery in Keith, but told to travel to Dufftown over, um, over dangerous and snowy roads. I have a constituent in, in their late 90s who, until their family contacted the NHS, had no news of his vaccination date, and as of Monday afternoon was still to hear, um, having been told they're going to be vaccinated at home, despite being willing and able to attend their local GP surgery. And in GPs in my region, frustrated at being told they can't vaccinate, that they would choose uh, those people that they would choose to, and supplies are limited and that their use is restricted. So can I ask the First Minister, do these examples of the inflexibility of the system and how it impacts on some of our most vulnerable cause a concern? And if so, what is she able to do about it? First Minister. In any big scale programme, there will always be people uh, who perhaps get missed from a, an appointment letter or who don't get an appointment uh, where it is convenient and the system will try to be as flexible as possible. I, as a constituency MSP, um, I get emails from constituents like that. I've had some in the past couple of weeks and as a constituency MSP, I try to go on and fix them for my constituents uh, as quickly uh, as possible. And, and we, will make, we will make the system as flexible as possible for people. But, you know, I, I didn't necessarily think it would be as quickly today that the Conservatives would move from uh, saying not enough people are being vaccinated to sort of complaining about where people uh, are being vaccinated. So we are getting through this as quickly as possible. Can I say, I know there will be people, because they email me too as well, who say I, I would want to be vaccinated closer to home because of my particular circumstances. That's perfectly legitimate. Let me again give the number for the helpline. Uh, you can obviously contact your MSP, but the helpline 0800 030 That helpline is there should you need advice on any aspect of your vaccination, and we will try to be as flexible as possible. Thank you. Pauline McNeill to be followed by Willie Coffey. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Can the First Minister confirm that the five cases of the South African variant identified in Scotland and linked to travel have been given the necessary support to isolate and actually are isolating 
and that all those who have been in contact with those individuals are doing the same to prevent further spread. It would be good to get that assurance. And can the First Minister confirm that airport testing will be part of the solution going forward, as it seems sensible to have a system that identifies the virus in travellers seems a sensible approach? First Minister. Um, so, yes, I can give that assurance on the five cases of the South African variant that have been identified so far, and I stress so far in Scotland, they all have connections with international travel. So at this stage, we have no evidence in Scotland of community transmission of that variant, and they are all being uh, treated with the utmost caution with all of the uh, correct protocols around isolation and contact tracing in, in place, because it's really important that we try to stop uh, that variant becoming uh, one that is circulating in the community. In terms of uh, testing, uh, yes, testing will have a role to play uh, as we move forward in terms of international travel, I am sure. Uh, but right now, the key message is do not travel unless it is essential to do that. That is the most important thing we can do to minimise the risk of new variants coming into the country. We should absolutely... Uh, I often get asked, what are the mistakes? I wish I could go back and uh, redo uh, what we did. And last summer, not being tougher on international travel is one of the things I wish I could turn the clock back and do differently. So I'm not prepared to allow us to make that mistake again. Do not travel right now unless it is essential. I'm sure many of us are desperate to get away on holiday to, to warmer climates, but right now, if we want to get greater normality domestically, to see our loved ones, to do the things we all like doing, then I'm afraid summer holidays uh, and holidays at the moment may just be the price we have to pay for that. So my overriding message, please do not travel right now. Willie Coffey to be followed by Liam Kerr. Thank you. Can I ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to address the serious challenges faced by our local high streets in the current climate and to support regeneration of our town centres as we move out of the pandemic? First Minister. Well, this is a really important question um, because there are significant challenges uh, for town centres as a result of the pandemic. As we know, many of our town centres were facing challenges anyway as shopping patterns uh, were changing. We published the independent review of the Town Centre Action Plan and we will continue to increase the support we give town centres to respond to the challenges they're facing. Uh, the review will be supported by an additional £25 million a year, which was announced in the budget, um, and uh, that's part of an overall uh, five-year £275 million place-based investment programme that will build on previous investment to stimulate economic activity for regeneration um, in our towns um, and make sure that town centres, other small settlements and business improvement districts uh, get the support they need uh, to face up to these challenges. Thank you. And Liam Kerr to be followed by Mark Ruskell. Thank you, Presiding Officer. I think Willie Coffey asked a good question, actually, and I wonder if I can press the First Minister on a specific point. You see, last week, the Aberdeen City Centre was hit by the closure of Debenhams after more than 35 years in the city. Another department store building, BHS, remains empty five years after it closed and Arcadia has shut several stores in the city. So can I ask, what is the First Minister doing to proactively help councils find occupiers for empty buildings to ensure great cities like Aberdeen don't come to resemble ghost towns? First Minister. Um, I'm going to resist the temptation to assume responsibility for filling individual shop units in every town and city. It, it is an important question and I don't mean to to minimise it. We work with councils to support them through funding. It is, of course, uh, and this is not just about uh, not wanting it to be my or the Scottish Government's responsibility. Local economic development teams and local councils are best placed to know how to recruit 
presiding officer, I'm struggling to hear with all the Yes, but the trouble is, on. First Minister, uh, if I may say so, First Minister, the trouble was caused by the Deputy First Minister heckling the Labour benches. So I would encourage all members to behave themselves in this situation. First Minister. <laughs> I will speak to him later, presiding officer. <laughs> um, my... My apologies. I've, I've completely lost my train of thought, which probably means I should sit down. The issue of, of town centres and, and working with local authorities through the action plan, through the funding, but the point I was making is I think it is right and proper and probably most effective for the local authority economic development teams to actually focus on who they are trying to recruit and who is best to be targeted uh, for investment in their own areas. Thank you. Mark Ruskell to be followed by Runa Mackay. At the same time as we're seeing a growing number of empty shop units across Scotland, retail giants such as Amazon and the supermarkets have seen vastly increased profits over the last year, actually benefiting from the COVID restrictions. So can I ask the First Minister if she, if she supports a windfall tax on these corporations to help fund the recovery package for our high streets, and whether discussions have been held with the UK government about this? First Minister. Uh, there's discussions held with the UK government on all sorts of things. I've not personally had that discussion, but I'm sure uh, there have been discussions of that nature. Um, look, I'm open-minded to any way in which we can make sure that those who have uh, benefited uh, from the situation we've been living through most uh, do more to share in uh, the burden for those who've really, really suffered. Uh, I, that's why I welcome the fact that some of the main supermarkets gave back to government uh, the the money they had saved from business rates relief and that is allowing us to extend the, the business rates relief for some really hard hit sectors for an extra three months. So I think those with the broadest shoulders as a principle should bear uh, the biggest burden and we'll continue to have these discussions. Although all of us have a part to play here um, in trying as far as we can during these times to support local businesses, to support our high streets um, and to give our custom to those who need it most. Thank you. Rona Mackay to be followed by Finlay Carson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, to ask the First Minister what her response is to figures revealing that the number of Scottish households affected by the benefit cap has nearly doubled during the pandemic. First Minister. Well, like many people, I'm deeply concerned about the benefit cap. That's uh, just one of the pre-existing failures in the UK welfare system that has been further exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, the continuation of the cap during this crisis uh, makes neither economic or moral sense. The benefit cap hits families with children hardest. 97% uh, of capped households uh, have children in them. So at a time when we've seen those relying on benefits rise and current economic forecasts are for increasing unemployment and fewer vacancies, this is a time when all governments, certainly uh, it's a responsibility the Scottish Government takes seriously, need to support families, not penalise them. So we've called on the UK Government to scrap the benefit cap and we'll continue to do everything we can to encourage them to do so. Thank you. Finlay Carson to be followed by Neil Finlay. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, back in November 2018, in response to my question, you said that you appreciated arguments I put forward calling for a national park to be established in Galloway, stating at the time, and I quote, we want to give full consideration to the proposal. I am happy to ask the relevant ministers to engage with the member and others who have an interest on how we can take the matter forward properly. Sadly, no progress has been made. But now, in light of the biodiversity and climate change emergency and the economic crisis we presently face, and given the recognised benefits national park status can bring, will the First Minister today commit to a feasibility study on the creation of a new national park in Galloway? First Minister. Um, 
I'm not going to, for reasons I hope the member will understand, I'm not going to commit to that today because obviously I, I need to go and consider uh, the question and uh, the proposition he's asking me to commit to. I, I will certainly do that. Um, I do remember the question he asked me back in, I wouldn't have been able to say it was November 2018. I'm sure for many of us that seems like an eternity uh, ago given what we've been through in the past uh, year. But these things remain important. They are as important as they were before. So I will undertake to go and uh, look at where things are uh, with the, the situation around uh, a national park in Galloway and look specifically at the question of a feasibility study and I, I or the relevant minister will write uh, to Finlay Carson when I've had a chance to do so. Thank you and Neil Finlay to be followed by Shona Robinson. Uh, this week the state of Oregon decriminalised the personal possession of all drugs. Uh, they will still rightly prosecute dealers but will now offer users a range of public health options to help uh, address drug use and addiction in complete contrast to the lack of options available here. Does the First Minister accept the war on drugs has been a disastrous failure and will never arrest their way to a drugs-free society, and it would now need a cross-party initiative supported by experts in the field to look at how we can introduce a similarly humane and effective drugs policy here? First Minister. So, in principle, yes. Um, I set out just a couple of weeks ago um, the, the approach that we will take with the, the new uh, minister, uh, dedicated minister for drugs policy. We need to do things differently. We need to do things better. We absolutely need to drastically reduce the number of people in Scotland who are losing their lives uh, through drug addiction. And we've uh, committed significant extra resources to that and are open-minded uh, to different ways uh, of working. There are, as I am sure Neil Finlay will recognise, significant constraints. Decriminalising drugs is not something we could do as a parliament within the powers we currently have. Uh, so we need to engage, for as long as we don't have these powers, we need to engage the UK government in these discussions. But I, uh, and this will be led uh, by Angela Constance, uh, we absolutely want to see a, a consensus around how we uh, do things better. Uh, I absolutely agree we should not seek to criminalise or arrest our way out of uh, a drugs crisis. This is a public <coughs> health crisis and it should be treated as such. And Shona Robertson. Thank you. Does the First Minister agree that it's important that we break down any financial barriers to self-isolating? So, can I welcome the extension of the £500 self-isolating to people earning less than the living wage? Can I ask the First Minister how many people will benefit from extending the criteria and how will the Scottish Government ensure that people are aware of the support that they're entitled to receive? First Minister. Well, again, this is a really important issue. Uh, we did announce yesterday uh, changes to the self-isolation support grant. Uh, we will extend eligibility to everyone who earns the real living wage or less, uh, to those in receipt of council tax reduction because of low income, and to those who meet eligibility uh, and have caring responsibilities for someone over 16 who is asked to self-isolate. Uh, we've also lengthened the period during which people can apply for the grant to within 28 days of being told to self-isolate. Um, I think these changes will further help remove financial barriers uh, to isolating and significant, significantly increase the numbers of people eligible for the grant. We estimate that around an additional 200,000 uh, people will be eligible as a result of the changes I have announced. But we will continue to look for ways uh, we can go further, both in terms of financial support, but practical support as well. Um, making sure people are aware of uh, these changes is important too, um, and therefore the changes will be accompanied by a national and local media campaign to raise public awareness of the support that is available. Thank you very much. And that concludes First Minister's questions. I think about 
A point of order from Jackie Bailey. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. The First Minister said earlier that people can contact the helpline if they have questions about their vaccinations. People are emailing me right now to say that they're trying and they're not getting answers about appointments. Margaret from Fife, who I referenced earlier, has just phoned the helpline to be told a letter will be sent soon, but nobody knows when. David from Glasgow was told that they couldn't tell him anything. Arthur from East Renfrewshire, who had cancer, has been given no information about his appointment. Presiding officer, the government needs a better solution for offering answers to people who are concerned about being missed or overlooked in the vaccination programme. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms Paley. I don't think that qualifies as a point of order. It is a point of information. I'm sure it will have been noted by the government and by other members. Thank you very much. We're going to conclude First Minister's questions. Parliament suspended until 2.30. And uh, we'll come back then. I would advise members to be careful leaving the chamber, wear your masks, follow the one-way systems and observe the social norms. Thank you.